Welcome to Hello Health Today, where health is a leadership strategy. I'm Dr. Carmen Mohan. Joining me today, all the way from New York City, is Santia Patrick. As a career marketer in the healthcare industry, Santia loves promoting products, programs, and solutions that improve the experience for physicians, clinicians, supply chain leaders, and ultimately, patients. Sanchia is currently Executive Director of Strategic Marketing for Henry Schein Medical Division. Henry Schein is the world's largest provider of healthcare products and services to office-based practitioners. In this role, she is responsible for developing the marketing strategy for specialties and segments of care. Sanchia earned her Bachelor of Arts in Journalism at University of Georgia and has a passion for culture, the arts, and travel. She has served on the Hello Health Board of Advisors since its inception. Full disclosure, this remarkable woman, Sanchia Patrick, is my sister. Sanchia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Carmen. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) Is it weird being interviewed by me? Absolutely not. I love any chance I get to talk to my sister (laughs) in a professional or personal setting. Likewise, likewise. I love seeing your beloved face. I can tell you from all of your friends and family down here in Atlanta that we miss you like crazy. We, you know what, we are holding the fort down in Brooklyn and we miss you too and can't wait for travel to be back to normal to see you up close and personal. It's been hard on me to know that my little sister is living in the epicenter of the COVID-19 pandemic. We've been seeing all these photographs of like empty places in New York City and in Brooklyn. What's just day-to-day life like now? Yeah, it is extremely sad. Uh, As you know, Brooklyn, and as many of you listeners know, Brooklyn is full of local businesses and it thrives off of the local, whether it be bars and restaurants or local shops and, and crafts, artists abound here. And so the community has been hit extremely hard. However, we rally, New Yorkers rally. And every uh, seven, at 7 p.m. every night, we um, all come outside of our houses and we applaud our healthcare workers that are on the front line. And you can hear bells ringing and music playing and people cheering and DJs playing. And so um, while we've been hit hard, we are certainly rallying around those that are on the front line. I went grocery shopping with uh, Jaya and Anjali just yesterday, and um, there's all these lines on the on the pavement where we're staying six feet apart. What's grocery shopping in Brooklyn like? Oh. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, full disclosure on my end, my beloved husband is the chef in the household. So um, love that man. Yes, I would Great not <laughs> keep my sister fed. <laughs> Um, so he has handled the grocery shopping endeavors and Fresh Direct has been absolutely phenomenal. The weekly deliveries that they've made, he organizes our cart and like this weekend, he braved the, um, grocery store. And honestly, uh, folks are respecting social distancing. We have uh, facial protection and we're respecting the governor's direction on wearing face masks every time we're outdoors. Um, lots of really good hand hygiene protocols, but, um, I am a bit spoiled in the sense that my spouse keeps me covered from grocery shopping, um, whether it's digital (laughs) or, um, in person, he's done well. 
Oh, goodness. Well, hats off to him. Thank you, Rod. (laughs) (laughs) So, Cynthia, you're such a people person. How is working remotely affecting you and your team? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, You know, all business leaders have had to navigate this journey from the office at home. I was always a leader who, and Netflix actually inspired this in me, um, you hire people you trust, you hire A players, and if you have A players, you can trust them anywhere. You don't have to be in the office around A players. And so for the most part, working remote, we were already working remote. We just weren't doing it every single day of the week. And so um, I think we already had really good digital presence and digital discipline, really big on digital presence, showing up for people. Um, how do you say hi? How do you do drive-bys virtually? and have challenged my team to do so. Um, we do miss each other. We do miss being able to hug each other. We miss being able to high five each other. We, there's some digital fatigue at this point because we've been doing this, Carmen, for almost two months, right? So um, I would say that you know, since we were already a flexible team with flexible discipline, the transition was easier than, than most, I think. Um, teams that maybe they were going in the office every single day. But um, as a leader, I've had to get quite creative around how do we stay tight virtually? So before we were meeting, we we had an every other week huddle as an all team and I had weekly one-on-ones and that was kind of my cadence. Now we talk three times a week and in shorter bursts and in shorter chunks, but COVID's intense and it's chaotic and it requires leaders to touch base more frequently, um, to center, to clarify, to calm, and also to encourage and inspire. So one of those cadences is just motivation. I I call it marketing motivation. And it's a guest speaker coming in and inspiring them. But, but, um, you know, this whole notion of virtual requires us to think completely differently about how we've structured ourselves, how we're communicating. Um, it's really upended a lot, but but I, I feel good week to week with the team and, and what we're delivering. I'm so thankful. Uh, if there's anyone who can be creative, it's you. <laughs> Well, and I should say, I, I know that the executives listening, I mean, between Skype for Business and Zoom and WebEx, the actual WebEx technology and Microsoft Teams and, you know, FaceTime, we're all trying to figure out what platform works best. We're all trying to figure out, you know, what virtual environment works best for our team. And some of our team members are a little more techie than others. And we've all had to just grow up in our tech maturity and try different things. We're still trying to figure out which platform works best for us. And it gets exhausting after a while going from platform to platform and trying to keep up. There's Slack. I mean, there's just there's an abundance of technology that's available to us. I'm grateful for it because we can see each other's faces, but we've got to get to a point where we choose a platform, zero in on that platform. Yes, I hear you. Just the burden of communication is just to this nth degree. Yes. To get to coordinate a team to to reach these hurdles and, and get over these new hurdles that cropped up overnight, right? Yes, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. 
So a lot of the magic of Hello Health, um, we feel, is that we help create a backstage for women in leadership. It's been my sincere honor to consider myself part of the Go Team Chi, like Go Team Chi, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm part of the Go Team Chi backstage crew for pretty much 40 years now. Yeah, that's right. And I haven't heard you as sad as you were on the phone with me last week when you told me about having to furlough a few members of your team. Um, And again, I think it's because you are such a people person. You Mm -hmm. love people. And I told you then, and I'll tell you now again, it's a grief that's unique to leaders, um, one that we're not really seeing um, being covered in the, in the press as stories about COVID-19 come out. Are you willing to share a little more about that? Yeah, I, I um, appreciate the, the context to the question. And just for the listeners, the Go Team Chi reference, you know, while my full name is Sentia, my tribe, I call my tribe, my village, we all need a tribe, we all need a village, calls me Chi, just almost for energy, right? C-H-I. And so I couldn't be more grateful to have my sister and my brother and my family and my husband a part of Go Team Chi. I would not have survived life and certainly wouldn't have survived the the um, extremely hard business environment that we're in. Um, that has required not only furloughs, but a lot of hard decisions uh, during COVID. And I, I don't know one business leader that has not been impacted by COVID. Um, we've all seen the pandemic hurt our bottom lines and our businesses. And my company actually announced to all of our customers the how management, including myself, w- how we um, were taking salary um reductions, and also um, let our customers know that we had furloughed a a number of our um, members, right? Our team members. We don't say employees. um, We say Team Shine members. And and I love that because it's almost like a family. It's like a, a company started out in a family unit and it still operates as a family. And so when you have to furlough one of your family members, when you have to impact someone in that way, you know, for me as a leader, you know, we all have to operate in EQ and IQ. We all have to understand um, that there are facts and logic, but then there are also this, there's emotions that are governing our decision-making and, and how effective we are as leaders. So logically, I understand the math behind the furlough decisions, right? I understand that a business continuity has to be a a priority for anyone that is going to make it through COVID. We already have seen so many businesses who have not. But the EQ side of me, you know, um, to have to impact a life, so much of what inspires me as a leader is, is actually my team, right? My team health, um, how they're feeling, how they're feeling as individuals. We're a team of 10, so it's not like I'm leading 100 people, but we are a, a team of 10 that is leading marketing for an over $2 billion division. So there's a lot of pressure. We're very, very tight. Um, and I felt already very lean. So, you know, having to call multiple team leaders and have the conversation around furlough, it's actually very different than a firing decision. 
because when you're firing someone, that person actually has accountability in their development plan and accountability in growing and developing. A furlough, you're, you're furloughing someone who may be really, really talented. And it's just because of the business environment and business condition. And so um, I was the the hardest thing that I've had to do professionally so far, and I'm 40 years old. So I've been working since I was 21. It is literally the hardest thing that I've had to do. And it's because you know as a leader, you're impacting someone's life. You're impacting somebody's livelihood. You're impacting someone's family. And the way through it is to realize and and. You know, I know this podcast is about health and it's about executive women. It's about, you know, um, you know, how the health dimensions can support us. The way through it for me was actually around my spiritual health. I, I really just had to pray, Carmen, and I had to just give it over to God because it's too it's too heavy to carry. If you really, really, really put yourself in your team member's shoes and you really, really, really are trying to understand what's going to go on with them and their hearts and their minds and their families, most importantly, their families. Um, it's a lot to think about. And you start to feel, I felt like I had somehow failed them. It's not the right thing to feel because the pandemic has impacted us all. And the pandemic, we did not invent this pandemic. It has occurred, right? But I felt like I could had not protected them somehow and had somehow failed them. And then how do I explain it to the rest of my team who are so tight and so close with everyone impacted? And how do you keep them focused and, and on purpose? And, and so as a leader, um, I've, I have observed some leaders just power through the furlough decision and it is what it is. I have observed others that are in rally and cry mode of we've got to get people back. So let's let's th- th- our purpose should be to keep this business growing and on point to get people back. You know, it helped me to just tell my remaining team members, guys, I've cried about this. I am, have been angry about this and I'm now at the point where I have accepted it. I need you to take the time you need to distill this, take the weekend. And then when you come Monday, I need you rallying on all cylinders because business continuity is, it is the priority. And the best thing we can do for them is to get our business, you know, um, on track. So, you know, it's a, it's a question, Carmen, that I could talk about a lot. And I, and I feel like compassion when you're having these business decisions the compassion. How do you have the difficult conversations? We can all, as leaders, we have to do hard things, but how do we have that compassionate approach with our team members? And women, oftentimes, because we are who we are and we have the tone that we have and we have that warmth element, that's what we bring in the leadership equation. We bring that warmth. It's still the same decision, but we we balance some of these equations into, you know, I care about you. I care about your family. This is really difficult. Here's what we're going to do for you. You know, we're going to take care of you from a benefits perspective. You can apply for unemployment. You, you are eligible for the CARES Act. All of those things, right? There's still, it's still the same decision. You are furloughed, but here are all the things that we can do. And, and I am here if you ever want to connect personally, right? 
still hard decision, but there's some warmth and there's some compassion in there. And, and this kind of thing, I'm sorry I'm going on and on about this, um, but for the listeners out there who have had to go through similar decisions and maybe more drastic decisions, there is a psychological impact here especially for women who are deeply like not that men are not because they are connected to their teams but we are heartfelt connected to our people and in a different way it's just true and so there's a psychological impact to this too um as we bring you know people back you know when or if that's the case how do you reintegrate and how do you reestablish trust and there's you know i think about a lot of these things um as it relates to this decision, but definitely one of the hardest I've had to make in, in business and one of the hardest things to say and do. I'll wrap the question by saying that one of my VPs of sales um, introduced me to uh, this mantra of, I can do hard things. Just the statement of, I can do hard things. Because a lot of the times women, we bottle it all up and we don't want to tell anybody we've cried. We don't want to look weak. We, you know, and the reality is like, we all need some sort of other woman encouraging us, telling us I can do hard things, you know? So very apologize for the long winded answer, but you know, there's, it's multifaceted, right? It's, it's, there's a lot of tentacles in that question. Oh, definitely. It speaks to a high value of the backstage for leaders, especially for women in leadership. And I think you mentioned a lot of what makes it difficult is empathy. Yeah. You you said compassion, but then you also spoke about being able to put yourself in the other person's shoes, which is right. empathy. And it's what lends itself to the warmth of women in leadership. Yep. But the burden, the burden of this and the psychological effects when connections you worked very hard to create and trust that you worked so hard to build are frayed by situations and circumstances completely outside of your control and the control of the team member. Yes. So while everyone logically understands, everyone's heart is hurt. Yes, that's right. And that's why we all need the backstage. So I think that one of the things that you've really shined a light onto is to help me articulate what I mean by the backstage and why it's important. Because recovering from an insult like the one that has been endured by so many people in leadership right now, it, it definitely takes the place, um, it, it takes a safer space that I think we realize we need. So, so just trying to really show the value of being able to admit that you've cried about something. Right. When we say that we value the strength of leaders, we don't often include the flexibility and the softness that is also a piece of it, right? That's right. That's right. Well, and softness is a really good word. Right, the the notion of being tender, the notion of you know, you don't get any of that warmth in the middle of a pandemic, you know it's it's just this we already had a pre-COVID workforce that if you cry it's like what and and you I mean I happen to work for a very emotionally intelligent team leader who 
I can actually share a tear with and he gets it, right? And he's a guy. But corporate America is not known for, especially the higher up you go, oh, you know, well, somebody got emotional. You get emotional, then it's like this label that you can't. So this stone cold centeredness is is very present in the C-suite and in corporate America in many, many companies. And passion and emotion has been related to kind of you're out of control, you're off center, when really you, you do need that softness. And team members do need the actual word saying, I know that your heart is hurt. You know, that the psychology and so much psychology going on in people management and people leadership that has to be acknowledged, right? And yes, being tough-minded is necessary in many business decisions. Um, but being warm-hearted is too. And so you need that that balance in teams and that balance in intelligences to produce some an environment, a business environment that enables people to be their best selves. And some of this, you know, my, my work president, uh, Carmen, recently equated, this is a very helpful thing for me during this time and with all these hard decisions. Um, he equated this to the stages of grief in a um, one of our executive meetings. And he, he said, hey, you know, there's denial. You know, when Brooklyn shut down, I went into total denial. I was like, I cannot believe this is happening. I cannot believe we're impacting baristas and these these restaurant workers who we love so much and these business owners who we know it's our community we're going to ruin their lives I'm in complete denial and then I was just angry right just like so mad at everything right the pandemic primarily like how could a virus just rip all this normalcy away from us and um he he encouraged us to get to acceptance right he's like you you can't get through the storm if you don't accept that you're in one and, and, and it's big and you got to accept where you are so you can move forward. And he created this unlock in me, which I wrote him later about. It's, it's that way, this experience for any business leader listening to this, we're not just experiencing the hard decisions at work and having to hold it together for our teams and, and accept where we are at work and move, help our teams move forward. We're also experiencing all this personal disruption. Those of us who are moms have children home and now we're the educator and we're the mom and we're also the business executive, right? Um, you know, those of us in communities like New York who are used to dense everything is dense and everything is packed. And that's part of the reason why New York is New York. And it's just the most amazing thing. And just looking at emptiness, it, this eerie emptiness, right? Those of us are married to someone who got furloughed or fired or who's experiencing, you know, just great loss. Those of us who have had parents, I have a dear friend who had a, her mom passed during this time. She couldn't be by her side. She could not be by her mom's side. So we're experiencing grief and I think that those stages again and again and again, this is what I knew. This is how I thought things were going to go. I'm mad about it. I'm upset about it. I'm, I'm hurt about it. Now I'm accepting it. I'm accepting this. So I just think, Carmen, that professionally that advice has been so important for me 
is just accepting this is disruptive. This is a disruptive business environment. And then, and then secondarily, um, personally accepting, going back through those stages, accepting, accepting, accepting where we are. That has been some of the best advice. And, and I would really encourage your listeners to, to give a good reflective stance on what, where they've been experiencing the stages of grief and um, marching, trying to think through how to march towards that acceptance so that they can get to a different place. Um, and by different place, I mean one that's accepting the normal that we're in that's going to change next week and then the following week and then the following. Yes, yes. And I right? I don't know if you heard it, but I did a COVID-19 part two episode um, early last week, and it talked about becoming comfortable with uncertainty, mm-hmm. which is part of what you're alluding to there. The Um, You know, we're going to have to accept this new normal and then the next new normal. And we all have to be part of co-creating a new normal. That's right. Um, And I think um, one of the things we're all a little concerned about is that the world will be less warm. Yeah. And I don't think I know anyone warmer than you. (laughs) Well, just like, you know, warmth also is equated with touch, too. Yes. You You can hug someone and encourage someone and see someone other than six feet away who's not wearing a mask so you don't just see their eyes you can actually see their smile exactly you know it's a talent now if you can smile with your eyes that's right that's right that's right we need it we need it things you never knew things you never knew people could do i know i know i know So part of this co-creating the new normal, again, will be making hard decisions, but making decisions about things we never had to make decisions about before. And you're actually the first person who introduced me to the phrase cognitive load, Mm -hmm. which I now include in many Hello Health presentations and inside our mini workshops. Mm -hmm. And so I thought we could talk about cognitive load as a really unique stress for leaders in particular. Mm-hmm. Just the sheer amount of input mm-hmm. and new information that mm-hmm. has to be part of the, the calculation in our professional lives mm-hmm. is astronomical. And there's a stress that we all need to name in order to start to manage it well. And Would you say that that's a, a piece of stress um, that you're enduring right now? Oh my goodness, yes. I mean, the by cognitive load, if you could think of your brain as this like um, little storage, it's not supposed to be storage, but just bear with me for a second. This uh, There's only so much that can go into a storage unit or a storage bucket, right? It has a limited amount of physical space. And I think our brains operate, even though it's an amazing muscle, it's it's it operates in the same way that there's only so much of our our brain can handle there's only so many decisions our brain is designed to make in an hour period or in a 10 hour period and cognitive load is when we just start to feel you know you're fatigued you know your brain is fatigued when you just go I just can't make one more decision I just cannot I cannot get on one more conference call I cannot, no, I cannot respond to one more email. I just, I'm like, what? What do they want me to do? What am I supposed to be editing right now? You know, you're in cognitive overload. 
when you wake up and you just simply do not know the first thing that you need to do because there's so many options, right? And, and business leaders, myself included, we are overwhelmed with the amount of options and the amount of things and the amount of projects, the amount of decisions, the amount of emails, the amount of calls. I had over 30 conference calls last week alone, 30, not including what work is needed to be done. And what emails are needed to be responded to. And I know that those, there are those of you who probably have more, right? So you finally get to the point. I talked to one of my team members last week and I told him, I cannot write this particular document. I, I literally, I know what it should say, but I'm not able to write it. Can you please step in and write this? So the cognitive load is is it's when we just feel like we're drowning and we actually can never quite come up for air for long periods of time. And so I know when that when I start to feel like that, I've either a overwhelmed myself. A lot of this is self-imposed. It's not our organizations. We are creating the chaos. So what have we created? What have we why did I have 30 meetings? Was that really necessary? Why did I not better block calendar and time? Every CEO that I study or read about has blocked critical thinking time for themselves throughout the day, strategic time to respond. They, they block, they carve out that time. Well, you know what? It's very hard to do that in crisis mode. And so, you know, getting clearer about how frequent we have to do it, it's probably a daily exercise, right? Of blocking time and holding that, holding the time and getting clear, asking ourselves the questions, what can we only do? What is the most important thing that I need to do today? Versus where your team, my team sometimes can pull me in 15,000 different directions because they've decided what's most important for me to do, right? But have I, my boss can do the same. So cognitive load is um, something I think about a lot, really all the time, because right when I think I have it figured out and I've got the space and the time plan, something changes, something moves. I have to do it all over, think about it all over again, right? And sometimes you just want to take a day off, but in COVID land, who's taking personal time off? You know, when, I mean, it's it, very difficult to step away and just... The stepping away is really helpful in assessing, am I overloading my brain? It's cognitive load that is the reason that the Hello Health Stress Management Program emphasizes using the body to help the mind rather than trying to use the mind, like rather than telling leaders to start meditating, for example, since you guys are just so go, go, go. Yeah. We really um, emphasize, as you know, using your body to help your mind slow down before yes. you ask it to try to stop, before you ask it to be quiet. And so... If you're willing, I thought we could walk through the, some of the framework that you use as an expert in mm -hmm. um, good self-care for, for leaders. Um, part of the reason that we have you on the board is that you really believe in radical self-care and right. you give us all permission to step away from the cognitive load. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So um, I don't know if you have listened to the self-care for leaders under fire introduction. We have first responders, jugglers, and weather vanes. I can tell you that you are an example of a first responder who's, while in healthcare marketing, not a healthcare provider. 
right? So, so many people think of first responders as, um, as healthcare providers only. And we actually did interview Dr. Kirsten Bendek um, early last week, who's emergency room physician all mm. around being an actual first responder. But I think you're a first responder as well in that you've been at the vanguard of making all the decisions, really hard decisions as we've spoken about already for your company. And those decisions are impacting the bottom line. So first, would you agree that you're a first responder or do you think you're more of a juggler in terms of toggling back and forth between your personal and professional lives and being interrupted constantly? Mm. Yeah, I think I agree with the first responder, but I say it with a lot of caution because, you know, like Dr. Kirsten, you know, I'm not in that ER. I'm not. So because I'm in healthcare, when I think first responder, I think of the EMS you know, tech that is helping somebody get into an ambulance who's actually carting that patient to, you know, the ICU, what what have you. So I, I so, but when you're, when you bucket it in the realm of business leaders, you know, I think a first responder, because if my husband did not enforce me to move away from my laptop by eight o'clock at night, I would just keep on responding throughout the day. The This juggling notion, we do not have kids. So the juggling notion of like, I'm at work and then, no, 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 I'm going into personal. During the week, I'm very one-dimensional. And I do not say that with pride. It's unhealthy. Uh, And I just kind of, there are very few calls I'm taking personally during the week. There are very few personal encounters outside of my husband that I'm having during the week. I just, I feel like the crisis has put my normal workaholism in total overdrive. And so um, I, that being said, there are things I'm doing to not, to make sure that I stay centered and clear and that I'm giving myself some oxygen before I give it to everybody else, which we can talk about. But I think you're right on the first responder. I feel like I'm supporting that first responder. Like when you talked about some of the team behind them, that's what I feel like my team and I are doing. We're rallying behind them to get them the products and solutions and resources that they need. Yes. So, so to your point, I think that the urgency with, with, with which these first responders who are the healthcare providers need all of the things that shine provides Mm -hmm. creates a set of a set of urgency that you've never seen necessarily before and a lot of quick decision making to actually be able to provide that support. So once you're on the support team for the first responder, you can consider yourself a first responder. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I love it. That's fantastic. That'll fuel me the whole next week. Great. The, the hallmark of a first responder is the sense that you are having to put out fires and if you don't respond, the building might burn down. That, that <laughs> sense, that sense. So you not being able to get away from your computer unless coming up for air to breathe oxygen is, is a hallmark of first responders, just so you know, in terms okay. of the Hello Health framework. Okay. I like it. I like it. <laughs> We're asking everyone to start to think about where they are in terms of their sense of resiliency. And so while we are all at risk for uh, running down our batteries and completely burning out, 
the first responders in the system are at risk for burning out the fastest. And so we're asking each of you to build a tent that's considered a tripod tent. And the first strategy we're asking everyone to deploy is to insert pauses into the day. And we're recommending a minimum of two pauses. I know that you pause more frequently than that, but are you willing to explain a little bit about your morning routine and how you put your own oxygen mask on first, first thing in the morning? Absolutely. So this notion of uh, radical self-care was introduced, I think it was um, either Brene Brown or Anne, oh no, Anne Lamont, Anne Lamont, who introduced me to radical self-care. And I realized years ago that if I didn't have some daily time to clear out the noise, that I was going to be ineffective as a leader, not just during crisis, but just period as a leader. And so um, I wake up around 5.30 and um, I my morning routine consists of always coffee, coffee before everything. It's just, it's gotta be. It's just very, <laughs> very disciplined in that re- regard. And uh, I usually clean up a bit. And then I, um, I go through an exercise called clearing. So I was introduced by a very talented leader to a book called Sacred Commerce. And this Sacred Commerce book talks about a lot of different things, but one of the chapters is about the importance of clearing. And it is simply an exercise where you ask yourself, or really somebody else could ask you, they introduce it as an exercise you should be doing with someone else. I do it by myself in my journal every morning. You ask, what are you present to? What am I present to? And you simply write down or vocalize what you're present to. I'm present to this deadline is breathing me down the throat. I'm present to the fact that my colleague made me upset yesterday. I'm present to the fact that my husband didn't do blah, blah, blah. Um, And in what I have found, I've been doing it for months now, is that it's just a lot of noise. Answering that question is like a lot of noise in your head. And women in leadership are carrying, we're often carrying about a hundred different, if we actually wrote it all down, it is literally over a hundred different things that we're thinking about that we have to do, right? And it never feels like, you never feel like enough. I started realizing when I woke up in the morning, I would wake up to the narrative of, I'm not enough. It didn't sound, it, it wasn't the, it, I wasn't saying those words, but that is what the mind, I haven't done this, I haven't done that, I still have to do this, this isn't going to be good enough, this person didn't respond, this person didn't say thank you, my boss didn't notice this, I didn't, you know, it's the constant trail of thoughts that we as women have, and they are all over the place in the morning. And so getting, getting to that answer, what am I present to? I wrote two pages in my journal this morning around what I'm present to. It was not necessarily positive. And then what you do, the book teaches you, you then ask, what am I grateful for? Or what moves me? Or what am I inspired to, you know, you, you ask, there's a series of questions you can ask as a follow-up to that, that then shifts your attention to what you can control and and what is right, what is going incredibly well. And so I always ask every morning, Carmen, what am I present to? And every morning, what am I grateful for or what moves me? And that exercise, it takes me about 30 minutes to do properly. That exercise has taught me the power 
power of what I'm giving my attention to is what's going to come to life. It's what is going to come to life. And um, one of the quotes they say in the book is what you are experiencing, whatever you're experiencing, you were the one creating it. I'm like, wow. You know, and so, you know, I mentioned before, I have a spiritual element. So this is not about, this is not about playing God. It's just about how powerful our attention is, right? Whatever you were experiencing, you were the one creating it. I started realizing just how much micro stuff I give my attention to that is taking back to cognitive load, taking up space in my brain and in my heart that needs to not need that noise needs to quell, needs to calm down. And the clearing helps me just start the day cleared, literally cleared. And also on purpose. What is my purpose? My life purpose is to spread light, to spread joy. I can't do that if I am clouded by a bunch of things that are telling me that I'm not enough. Then I'm just kind of making it through the day instead of thriving through that day, right? So that habit is the most important habit that I have. It's in the morning and I call it clearing and it's from that book again, Sacred Commerce. That's amazing. What a powerful, powerful practice you have going on. By the way, I'm going to have to get that book. I think think you sent it to me. (laughs) I mean, I have other habits, but I'm also sensitive to, you know, I I could talk to you all day here. I could talk to your listeners all day. (laughs) The one I'm interested in is, um, so we talked about the first thing in the morning, what you do to get cleared. What about last thing at night? So I've been asking everyone to bookend with the winds of the day. Mm, so I would like everyone to start to shift their attention to the positive mm-hmm. because there's so much that's left to be done. There's so much that hasn't gotten done that we're very future focused or very past oriented if we don't write down the winds of the day. And we can also become pretty negative in our thinking while we should be getting in that well-deserved sleep. So the two practices that we're asking everyone to do are really in defense of restorative sleep. So I ask you, do you do anything at night to help you shift towards a positive frame of mind? Yeah, that's a really good one. And I have to say, I'm going to have to take some notes from you during this this episode because bookending the day sounds brilliant for the record. I'm like, oh, do I? No, not really. I, it, honestly, so one of my, I've set out goals for COVID and it's in an acronym of ACE, which will not surprise you because I'm always happy to put a theme on anything. And um, it stands for anticipate, which have goals under anticipation, command, goals under command, and the E is executive growth, goals under executive growth. And under command is related to my inbox. And so this whole notion of our disciplining our inbox and inbox zero, I'm now calling it being an inbox Jedi. That's what I've decided. You're literally slicing, you're slicing that email. (laughs) And so when you ask, what do you do at the end of the day? I'm usually in 
inbox Jedi land where I'm trying to look at the inbox and see what can I purge out and make sure is who have I not responded to that I need to respond to? What do I need to make note of that I haven't done? Who do I need to respond first thing in the morning? I'm usually literally winnowing that inbox down and trying to get it to the, the most the least amount of emails until my husband says it is time for dinner and we're eating now. But I love your reframe, which I will adopt in the coming week, which is the key wins. Cause I do not every day think about the key wins and there are so many that exist, but you, I'm just, I'm so obsessed with that particular goal, um, which it takes. Otherwise it's just your inbox just explodes um, but I will amend my, uh, my day with that, the bookend of the wins. I think that's a great idea. A really great Thank idea. Thank you. Well, if you think it's a great idea, it must be pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fantastic. <laughs> the last thing we're asking every first responder to do is to invest in sleep by offering herself an eight hour sleep opportunity, if it is at all possible. Have you been really trying to invest in sleep as an intentional and conscious goal? Yes, I will say, um, so I was, the Hello Health Clinic was extremely influential with me about a year ago, super sleep deprived and operating at a sleep deficit. And I realize how much my body needs sleep. So I'm very rarely up past 1030, 11. I, I don't, a lot of people are working at midnight. I, you know, my body does need the sleep. I've come to the full realization, which it takes when you just want to work, work, work. Um, I, I need time with my husband and then I need sleep. I, I actually have to have those things at night. And so I get a good seven and a half, eight and a half hours of sleep operating music on, to my ears. Yeah. The days of operating at four or five hours of sleep, I've realized that it's, I am actually less coherent without the proper amount of sleep. And I wake up early. I'm gonna, my eyes are going to open at five, five thirty. So I've got to go to sleep at a reasonable hour. I'm just not going to not wake up early. I, I, I haven't awakened to an alarm clock in years at this point. So I, I've got to go to bed earlier or else I'm not getting sleep. So I, you have reached, you have reached me. The Hello Health <laughs> Clinic has gotten through. And let me tell you, all the women on the phone that you're priding yourself on four or five hours of sleep, go to bed and get sleep. It is life changing. Your results will be better. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Now I know I've transformed you. You're a you sleep have. cheerleader. I am. I am. Who would have thought too? I used to be so proud of four hours of sleep. It's like, that's, it's, it's really, really, uh, it's not okay. It's that it's, a, I think it's more of an American thing. Or it's our work culture. We pride ourselves on mm. no sleep and it's a rare, I'm like, no, it's time to go to bed so that we can be our full selves in the morning. Well, Santia, we really appreciate this, just this insight and letting 
letting us into your backstage for these moments. Um, thank you so much. We've come to the point in our show where we ask everyone to take action steps for today. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to share kind of three steps that we all could take to improve our self-care when we are under fire? Absolutely. So I would say the first thing I would recommend is actually goal setting. And I mentioned that I have specific COVID goals. There are about 12 of them. I think it's very important to remind yourself of not only your why, but also what you want to accomplish on a regular basis and to refine goals accordingly. I think it's very hard to take care of yourself when you don't really know what you want and you don't really know where you're headed. And we are multi multi-dimensional. You know, women we're 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 ourselves, right? We have to take care of ourselves, but we're also we're mothers, we're sisters, we're daughters, we're wives, we're friends, we're community leaders, we're executive leaders. We've got a lot of dimensions and there are certain goals. There should be a goal within each of those dimensions in a way that we want to push forward and grow those dimensions. And the risk in not developing goals is we become those one-dimensional people that it's work just sucks it all out of us. Um, or our kids totally monopolize right and we we have friends we have communities we have spaces that that we have to honor within ourselves and i have found personally that it's really hard to do that without written goals that are massaged throughout the year so that's the first action item i would highly recommend um the second would be this this morning time and this morning routine as every leader that i admire has a very specific morning routine that maybe it involves exercise, it could involve prayer, could involve what I'm talking about, which is clearing, others do yoga or meditation. We have to put our face mask on and literally the proverbial face mask, not the actual one. Um, in in the um, in the morning, we have to actually take care of ourselves and protect ourselves. If you don't do it in the morning, it's it it just it the day does not flow in the way that it could. And so I would highly, highly, highly recommend clearing. Um, and the third, I think, is around this this mantra of hard things. So, you know, I talked about uh, furloughs and, and just these hard conversations and these tough moments. You know, it's not going to magically get better in the next month. COVID's going to, it has impacted our global economy and our global circles and worlds in ways that, we're, we're going to be comprehending into 2021 and probably beyond. And so um, I would encourage each listener um, to come up with a mantra and, and also to connect with a mentor who reminds us, right, who can remind you that you can do hard things. I had the privilege of actually seeing my mentor's face before some of these tough conversations. And she looked me dead in the eye and said, you can do this. You know, you can do this. It's awful. You can do this. And women need, she was the one who told me, every woman needs that voice that says, that, that quiets that inner judge and that inner critic. And so my, my call to action or that third action 
would be, you know, whose voice do you need to hear that silences your inner critic, who reminds you you can do hard things, who can give you the mantra that you need that can compel you to act or compel you to pause or to who, who, who's that voice that compels you and um, make sure that you're talking to that voice, even if it's just once a month. So to make sure that the, the virtual abyss of work doesn't suck you so into it that you forget that there are people you have to be connected to and then connect. So th- those would be my three um, goals clearing or pausing in that morning and then you know that the voice that silences your inner critic and can give you those mantras that you need because the hard decisions are still coming um those would be the three areas that that i think i would really encourage hello health listeners to consider and to reflect on thank you oh master of radical (laughs) self-care I understand now why you rise so high. Um, I know you've been using health as part of your leadership strategy for almost two years now. And I hear um, and I see that it's really working well for you. I'm so glad. Hey, well, I'm so honored to be a part of the podcast. And honestly, Carmen, your vision of... Hello Health's vision of uh, health as a leadership strategy is spot on for all executive women. The content that you're putting out there is so, so desperately needed. Um, we need to, to lift each other and we need to remember that our bodies and our minds have to be nourished and developed and that they're our greatest asset through this, through, through this, you know, goal of trying to transform the workforce, right? So um, I appreciate everything you're putting out there and uh, look forward to seeing more. We got more for you. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. And hey, you're going to be joining the a lot of women at Henry Shine here soon, just a week. Um, and I know that there yes. are a ton of women, ton of women at my company looking forward to hearing from you and learning from you of all levels and positions. They're really stoked. So thank you. Oh, I am really excited to um, get back to Shine and to meet everyone virtually. We'll be offering them a mini workshop on self-care for leaders under fire. It's going to be fabulous. Yeah. Um, So we appreciate you hosting us there. Yeah. Yeah. Look forward to it. Very much look forward to it. If you like what you hear on Hello Health today, please support the show. You can do that by taking some time right now to rate and review us. It helps other people find us. Subscribe now so Hello Health today is automatically loaded into your feed. To find us in a search box, you have to smush the words hello and health together without a space. If you do that, we pop right up. Until next time, remember, today is good, even when we're under fire. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Because I am a medical doctor, it's important for me to tell you that nothing I say here in this podcast can substitute for your doctor's advice. My lawyers make me say the same thing this way. The contents of this podcast are neither intended nor implied to be relied on for medical diagnosis, care, or treatment concerning any individual. 
Under no circumstances does this podcast create a physician-patient relationship, nor does it constitute engagement in the practice of medicine or the provision of any healthcare service to an individual patient. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for professional diagnosis and treatment. Consult a healthcare provider before making any healthcare decisions or to obtain guidance about any medical conditions. The producers of this podcast expressly disclaimed responsibility and shall have no liability for any damages, loss, injury, or liability whatsoever suffered as a result of reliance on the information contained in this podcast.